Now, I've been on a, a little, uh, uh, many of you may not or may, may know, uh, last, um, for about 11 days from the 1st of June through to uh, last Sunday, um, I was on a walk uh, at a place called the, uh, uh, on a thing called the Camino. Um, so the Camino, Camino is a pilgrimage, one of three big pilgrimages. Um, uh, there's one to Jerusalem, which is a very long way, uh, and uh, one to Rome, which is even further. But this is a pilgrimage that has been around uh, for, since about the 10th century, uh, and uh, it's called the Way of St. James. I won't go all to the ins and outs of it, uh, to do with James and his bones and all that sort of stuff in Santiago de Compostela. Uh, there are actually other bones of James elsewhere, so it confuses it, all right? But the fact is, is that the, the aim of the pilgrimage is primarily about the way of Jesus, actually. Um, but uh, it's called the way of St. James, and uh, it operates from St. John, St. John uh, uh, Pierre, uh, whatever, just below the Pyrenees, which is where I started, uh, together with uh, Ken Morton, you know Ken Morton, Richard Gibson is part of the nine o'clock, and uh, Richard Gibson's um, uh, brother-in-law, married to his to Richard's sister, and uh, we uh, we in those eleven days went from the the bit in green, uh, which is Saint Jean de Pierre, which is just below the Pyrenees, beautiful part of the world, and then uh, we we went up, uh, you know, at ten ten kilometres first day at that angle. All right, first day uh, over the Pyrenees, and then we ended up in Burgos after 11 days, which is a bit further down. You can probably see Burgos, can you see just to the right there? And that's when I then went to Bilbao and flew home. They've carried on, they're at Lyon now. They've got to Lyon, Richard and Ken, so they've done really well, so they're beyond halfway, supposedly a day after day, but with Ken Morton involved, you never know, it might be. He strikes them on. The number of times he said, I'm a Scottish-Irish Presbyterian during the time, anyhow, uh, was fascinating. But the fact is, is they got to Leon and they will be back here in two weeks' time. We jokingly said maybe he'll walk in here with his gear on at that time. So I've been on the Camino. I don't want to spend too long on that. But um, uh, it's a thing that uh, you know, probably about 250,000 people do each year. Uh, mainly you walk it uh, and uh, some people cycle it uh, and... Um, uh, the aim is that you, well, in what we did, I did about 30 kilometers a day. Uh, I've only just recovered from a couple of the blisters. Uh, and um, most days we were getting up at 5.30 in the morning because it was getting to 31 degrees by about 1 o'clock. Uh, and so uh, we, we had to go early to try and stay in the cool. And then we'd get to the albergers. We'd stay in these extremely smelly uh, 36 people in a room uh, in bunks uh, with a variety of noises in the night. Uh, and... It was, you know, you didn't sleep much, but you, you kept going, 30k a day, and we, uh, we kept moving on uh, through things. Um, and it's, uh, for me, the thing is that in 2013, I had a sabbatical period, and I did from Burgos to Santiago, so that's about 500 kilometers. And uh, uh, it was very much an opportunity in my sabbatical to spend some time with Jesus, reconnecting with Jesus. And also the idea of going on my own, which is what I did then, and uh, sharing about Jesus was quite a fun thing. And the, this was a, a sort of, for the last nine years, I've been thinking, I'd love to do it. And, you know, Ken and Richard have been planning this for two years. Um, and uh, anyhow, we pulled it off. So I can say I've done the Camino and I've fulfilled it and finished it uh, in, in, in terms of stuff. Just uh, what are some of the things that are done in it? There's this shell that sort of represents the Camino. Um, again, I won't go into the history of that too much. There was four of us here, the four amigos, on, uh, on this particular walk. Uh, say, Ken on the left, Brian, who was uh, 
Richard's brother-in-law, myself, and Richard. That's when we were smiling. There's another picture where we look pretty horrific. But uh, some of the scenes, it's the Pyrenees. If you've ever been in the Pyrenees, it's stunning. I didn't realize how nice it is, even at six o'clock in the morning. It's beautiful. Pyrenees, walking through areas. This is like, you know, uh, then, then this is approaching a town, another town, beautiful Spanish town. Then you're walking through all these different areas, which look idyllic. I've got to say, going up and down different surfaces is not great when your blisters are hurting and you're putting iodine and all these things on your, on your mind. This is at one point, a key point, where you're going up on a hill and uh, there's a sort of point that uh, everybody has their photos. And then uh, food was great. There were paellas. This is a paella in one of the albergues where we stayed overnight. And then uh, there's a bit of fun, really, uh, at uh, in a, a place called Nigeria, uh, where a lot of the people are out celebrating uh, some sort of festival. And, uh, and then that's me home, all right, at the end of it, extremely enjoying my cup of tea. So what were the great things about it? What were the challenges about it? One was the blistered feet. Uh, in some senses, there was a real sense of, like, suffering and walking and keeping going and, and keeping on it, which is part of the whole... Camino experience to a certain extent. Secondly, there is the beautiful countryside, which was incredible when I showed there. But thirdly, above all things for me, was the people. Yeah, there was the four of us, but also there's an incredible openness when you're in these situations. People are coming on the Camino for a variety of reasons. Most of them are not directly spiritual, uh, midlife crises, there's things that have gone in their lives and they do this walk for that reason. But I've got to say, I actually got um, reached a point after five days, I was talking to so many people about Jesus, I had to actually stop doing that because I was realizing that it was just, you know, taking over. People were so open to talk about Jesus. The contrast coming in the tube on the way back and everybody's sitting there on their phones like this and, and the sense of the sort of secular Britishness coming in uh, sort of almost overwhelms you really. But there was such an openness. And I honestly believe that people are open to Jesus. They really are. It's just up to us to be entering into and asking questions to enable them to do it. And that's one thing I came out from it uh, in, in thinking about. It was a real privilege to do, fulfilled an ambition. And, uh, and I got there. And I got there. I made it. And I had a focus there, you see. I had an ambition. Some people sometimes say, is it right for Christians to, to be ambitious? I think it is. I think it's okay for us to be ambitious. In fact, it's the only reason we want to get up in the morning is to be ambitious in some way, isn't it? You've got to have a bit of ambition within you to say, right, I'm even going to get into the day. Ambition in itself is not a problem in the Christian faith. The challenge is, what are we ambitious for? What are we ambitious for? You see, what are the things that... uh, The two big questions that we have to face in life, in how we're going to face life is that many of the things that we do come out of two questions. And the first thing is, what defines you? What defines you? And secondly, what drives you? What are the things that define you? If you like, there are some of the, the things that we've inherited, the things that we've received. It might be about your background. It might be that you're black or you're white or you're male or you're female or your education or sexuality or whatever it might be, that your background defines something of who you are. And when we're looking at the way we're approaching things, so often we look back at those things or we use those things as a means of defining ourselves. Well, that's the way I am. And that's what I've been uh, produced. And that so often defines the way we look at things. Secondly, it might be personality. Somebody will say to me things like, yeah, well, it's all right for you. You can talk about Jesus. You're an extrovert. Well, I'm an introvert. 
as if somehow I can't talk about Jesus because you're extrovert. You know, I mean, these things that define us so often that we say, you're, you're a noisy one, I'm a quiet one, you know, so often affects the way that we do it. I'm into people and you're not into people. I'm, I'm a non-people person. I like to just be on my own and have a glass of wine and a chocolate and watch all creatures great and small, whatever it might be. Or thirdly, it might be a relational thing that defines us. We say, well, I'm single, I'm married, I'd like to be married, I'm you know, widowed, I'm divorced, I'm, I'm a dad, I'm a mum, I'm a child, I'm a grandchild. That relational thing affects us. Or the classic, what do you do? We can't stop asking one another. Our definitions are so often put on us by other people and we're put into a box about the way we are. So whether you work, you're unemployed, you're retired, you're self-employed, you're a volunteer. Now, these are all key things, but the question is, do they define us? And as followers of Christ, the question is, we have to ask ourselves, do those things define us? Because we are told they are how we should be. Those things will define you. Therefore, as a result of those things, you can only do these things. But I want to say, if you are followers of Christ, we are not defined by those things. They do not set who we are. All right? They're not wrong in themselves. They're important, but they don't define us. This is a really important part of this passage because, you see, in addition to that, out of the definition that so often sets us and we say, oh, well, it's my background, that's the way I am. Or, you know, all those things to do with our personality. The other thing is that so often we're driven by a number of things as well. Very often we're driven within those things by our past. Paul had a past here. He talked about his past just before the passage that was read. He talked about the confidence that he had in circumcised on the eighth day, part of the people of Israel. He was a great lawyer. He was a great Pharisee. He was greatly zealous for the things of the law and he was trying to wipe out Christians. That defined him. And yet he was confronted by Jesus. See, very often we're driven by guilt and fear. Very often, that's the thing that actually defines us and drives us very often. We can be molded by the past, but we cannot be prisoners of it. The number of people I meet who, if you like, have come into such a place of guilt and fear that actually that's defined who they are. And some of them, to be fair, are quite comfortable in it. The number of Christians I meet who are saying, you know, you try and say, but Jesus can set you free. And they go, they cannot break out of thinking, well, that's the way I am. We are in the transformation business. And if we believe in a Jesus who can change people's lives and the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead is available to us, can we not believe that guilt and fear should not define us? Should not hold us back? I want to be part of that shifting of of what can be. Let's not be defined by the way things have always been, by guilt and fear and those things. Before we do believe, don't we, that God knows the plans that he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm a hope and a future. Yes, we acknowledge fear. Yes, we recognize that it takes time often to see healing. But we have fresh purpose and, 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 um, and direction and ambition. Because very often, if it's not guilt or fear, it might be anger and resentment. Today is a day when we, we talk about fathers. And I know so many people would say, but my dad... My dad was a person who said things and did things in me. And they, it fuels them. I've known people who are sportsmen who are fueled to do things because their dad said things over them. So often we're fueled by anger and resentment 
And we come at things, past hurts, what they did to me. I'm going to get them back. I'm going to show what can be done. Our pain, our discomfort defines us and it affects the future. And Paul says, there is a way through. You do not need to be defined by guilt and fear and um, anger and resentment. That there is a way through Jesus with true forgiveness that we can really know life. As Philip Yancey once said, not to forgive imprisons me in the past and, um, uh, and leaks out all the potential for change. And finally, not just guilt and fear, anger and resentment, also the things that very often can drive us are approval, wealth, possessions. Paul had everything. He had the means and he had status. He had all that was needed. It says in verses 5 and 6 of this particular passage, to achieve what he wanted to do. And in many ways, that's what we look to, don't we? We love it. We see celebrity. We see people who've got brains, who are professor this and got this after their names. And we see that as being a definition of what is great and what is going to make a difference. And yet, actually, Paul says, that is garbage. We're going to talk about it in a moment. To use a term, actually, within the Greek, excrement. In the face of knowing Christ himself. We're desperate for approval, aren't we? We spend the whole time thinking, oh, we've got to be loved by this person or that person or that situation. Approval addiction is probably one of the biggest addictions we have in our society today. We spend our whole life trying to be approved by everybody else rather than the countercultural, transformational love of Jesus. We're so often driven by that. I've come under that. I've come under that in, with other people, with situations. I remember a, a footballer at, at, at Bournemouth once, and I said, what's the thing that motivates you? He said, to be the best, Anna Bentley. You know, there's approval. There's somehow, if I had this, if I had that, therefore I could somehow be acceptable. Not just to God, but actually I could live a life that's full of peace. And yet, once he had it, once he had it, he sold it, his Bentley, within three months. Boy, it's never enough. He's never going to satisfy. There was another car. There was another situation. There was another thing. So that's the basis for what I want to say very briefly in relation to this. Paul says these things. Verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. What he's saying here, those things that have defined me, my background, my personality, my, um, you know, my relationships, my work, those that define me and so often people put me in a box in relation to, I count as nothing. I count as loss for Christ. It's not that those things are wrong. I'm not saying any of those things were wrong. I'm thankful for all those things. But that's not the thing that's going to define me. When people know me and knew me, what are they going to know me as? I've got to say, I didn't, a friend of mine did the Camino uh, a few months ago, and he did it with his dog collar on. And he said it was amazing. People were coming up to him all the time with his dog collar on. Well, of course they were, because they're in Spain and Italy and France, and they love a dog collar there. They love a dog collar. They'll, they'll come to him as the priest. That's fine. And that was great. I didn't do that, but I've got to say it was fascinating having conversations with people, just starting to get to know them and chat to them. And then eventually it would, it would come to the point of saying I'm a minister. And the shift that would go on within that, for some it would be, yes, I want to open up to you. For many it would be like, last thing I want to do. I don't want to be defined by my dog collar. I want to be defined by my status. 
I want to be defined by my relationship with Jesus. That's what I want to be defined by. And that's not true whether you're a reverend or an irreverent, non-reverend person. It's that you are a follower of Jesus. That's what Paul says. It's not that I was this and that and whatever. I know Jesus. And it is the greatest, greatest thing in life to know Jesus. Do you realize that? It's the greatest thing to know Jesus. It's the greatest privilege. I long for every seat in this place to be filled to overflowing with people that are hungry for Jesus. Do you not hope for that? I want to pray for that. I really do. I wept so much on this walk for this church, for this situation. I found myself walking along, weeping with pain in my feet, but weeping for all that people could know of Jesus. I met a guy called Ben, only 27. He'd had five years in the Royal Marines, officer. Absolute dude, a Bear grills on, on speed. Amazing guy. A lovely guy. But it was fascinating. He'd done everything. He'd been everywhere. He'd been a Royal Marine. He'd come out of it, and he was doing his walk across the Pyrenees, his own little thing. And it was fascinating. He was all this, all bravado, came from St. Albans. And we connected But as soon as we started talking about the things in his life, his mum died when he was 21, um, and started to talk about some of the things in his life. And then we started talking about Jesus, and I spoke over him into his life about what God thought about him, and there were tears in his eyes. Because see, ultimately, it's about knowing Jesus. You can achieve everything. This guy was an absolute dude. I was quite jealous of him. He did more before 27 than I've done before 60 in many ways. But it's about knowing Jesus. I had a shower. In the, I was having a shower in one of these Alburgers. And I was in there do, do, having a bit of a shave, sorting myself out. And this guy came out from the loo called Sasha and <clears throat> started checking to me in his 20s. And I said, so uh, my question quite often would be was, why are you on the Camino? Because it was quite a helpful starting point for how things were going. And he said, you know what? On Good Friday, I woke up in the morning. I, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm a waiter. Doing, I sell beer. Uh, in, in, uh, down at Lake Constantine, which is down the south bit of Germany, if you know, near Switzerland. Woke up on Good Friday and I had a vision of an angel. And I'm on this because I, I want to know what it's all about. I want to know what this is, this whole God thing and this Jesus thing. And there I was, right in front of a sink, praying for him. Because in the end, and he said, you know what, he was so thankful. He was literally he was going out of the thing like this. Like this, and he gave me something for whatever. I only saw him for an instant, but in that instant, what did he need? Me to say, Oh, it's great, the blisters are terrible, aren't they? It's terrible, this, that. What did he need? He needed Jesus. People need Jesus. That's what Paul is saying there. Don't define yourself by, I'm this, that, whatever. I'll leave it to someone else to do. Every single one of us can just talk about Jesus, to know Jesus. We really can. Please don't leave it to Andy Rimmer to save the world because I ain't going to do it. We've got the person who saved the world in us, the name of Jesus, haven't we? And that's what he's saying here. He's saying that stuff for Ben and for Sasha, they need Jesus. And this is a refresh reminder of Jesus. And the Lord speaks to us, you know. I really believe that. You know, I spent 11 days on this walk. For 10 days, I was crying out to him, and I didn't feel I heard him at all. For a variety of reasons, you know, even though we had time 
sitting around, whatever. Just life took over, even in that context. In my funny old bag and the sweaty feet and the sorting everything out and food and everything. There's something amazing about thinking everything I had was in that bag. But in the midst of it, I was just desperate to hear Jesus. And on the last morning, we went out. And suddenly, as you get in Spain, suddenly those huge great black clouds came over. Early in the morning. It wasn't predicted. We hadn't seen it in any of the forecast. These black clouds. And there were literally rods. We were up at 5.30 because we needed to get to Burgos. Because I needed to get a bus to Bilbao. It was all pressure. And as I walked along, these huge black clouds and the rods lightning coming down around us. And I was wearing poles. I was thinking, I'm dead. But I was walking along. You know, it could be me. And there was rumbles and everything. We put on our coat. And actually, it never got rained on. But as I walked along, it was like I was crying out to God saying, help me, help me, help me, Lord, to get through. But also, Lord, speak to me, speak to me. I've been longing to hear your voice. It's the reason I've skived off leading a church is to go there. I just want to hear your voice. And as I walked along, I felt God say three things. One thing, he said, um, I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. Secondly, he said, you will see your heart's desires. So those things that I was crying out to God, not just for me, but for my church, for my family, you will see your heart's desires. And thirdly, thirdly, just ask me with all your heart. And I really felt he spoke to me in that time. And I remember weeping. And I went, went to the top of a hill. And they have lots of crosses you go past. But there's one particular cross. And I just knelt before that. And I said, Lord, I'm, I'm yours again. I'm yours again. And I knelt down with knobbly knees. And I said, I'm yours again. I wanted to consecrate myself afresh. And I carried on with the walk. He speaks. He loves us so much. He loves us so much and he wants to know us so much. Let's be practical about this and get on with things. There's a lot to do. How do we know this Christ? Let's get practical. This time tomorrow, it's fine to say we want to know Christ. But what is this going to mean on a daily basis? What does it mean for us? How are we going to be in this radical obedience to the way of Jesus? Paul says these things here, one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on. And what is that going to mean in action in real life? Firstly, I want to say, if you do not know this Jesus, I want to introduce you to Jesus today. Because there is nothing else in life but Jesus. I really believe that. I saw it in the people I chatted with. Those, there was a hunger for Jesus. Because actually everything else in their life was not coming together. But somehow the name of Jesus, this Jesus that once you explain what Jesus had done for them, their face started to come alive. But secondly, there are three things really I want to draw out. Firstly, we're called to surrender. Horrible word. We're called to surrender. Because here we see this. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, excrement, excrement, that I may gain Christ. This is the language of accounting he uses. Consider, count it all, as it says in another translation, as lost. What he's saying is those things of the past are not wrong in themselves, but to know Christ is greater than all of those things. The degrees, money, status that we so often put ourselves in. 
Why? Because that is what he's done for you. Verse 9, it says, be found in him. What an amazing, powerful phrase. To be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. Isn't it true? Religion, you know what? North Spain is full of stacks of religion. There's lots of churches. There's churches everywhere. Everywhere you move, there's churches. But I went into one church for one of the services, actually on Pentecost. And I had to leave after 10 minutes because it was so (laughs) deeply depressing. That's the only description. On Pentecost Sunday, this should be the most exciting day of the year. And I had to leave. I couldn't understand it because it was Spanish, but I knew enough in my spirit. And I thought, Lord, protect us from ever falling into religion. It's about Christ and the work of his spirit. Religion is do. Christ is done. He has done it. He says he has made us righteous. And we want to know this Christ. We want to understand this Christ. We want to walk with this Christ. And so tomorrow, the first thing each day is we just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender myself to you. The one who loved me. The one who knows me. The one who gives himself to me. For me, increasingly, what I do each morning is I get on my knees. It's the only way I can physically posture myself to say, Lord Jesus, here I am. I surrender myself to you as you have given your life fully to me. What else can I do but give my life fully back to you? Firstly, just surrender. You might use worship to help you. You might use a different way. But if you're trying it hard, I know for some of you it might be difficult to get down on your knees. Find another thing. Lie down if you find it helpful, whatever. But just an opportunity just to say, Lord Jesus, I surrender myself to you. It might be you stand and you put your hands. Secondly, we treasure treasure this relationship with us. We so easily take it for granted. But just treasure our times with Jesus. Any relationship worth nurturing is worth spending time. As Jesus said to me, I love you with all my heart. That is worth treasuring. It says that word no. That word no in the Bible is a word of deep, deep intimacy. It's not just he knows us like, hi, I know him. You know when you have a conversation with some people and you say, oh, you do know such and such, an acquaintance, yeah, I know them, yeah, I know them. But what it's saying there, he knows us. He knows us deeply. He knows everything about us, better than we know ourselves. And I want to know this, Jesus, as deeply as I can. And my investment of my time and my energy, my time when I read my Bible, time when I get into the Word, the time when I say, Holy Spirit, as I say, I want you. So each day I just urge you to get time just with Jesus. One of the most glorious things I've seen, Ken Morton. Glorious Ken Morton, is, you probably know. Every, every day he'd sit there or lie there on his bed and he'd read his daily notes. He'd read his Tom Wright on, on, a, on a book he's reading and then he would pray. Every day he did that. You know, we all have our different ways of doing it. But as Ken would say, I want to know Christ. Not a very good impression of him. But I want to know Christ. I want to know him more and more. I remember as well, we singing, one time we were walking along singing, because it's quite a good thing singing, and you get quite a beat going. I found myself getting into all the old classics, like, what a friend we have in Jesus. You go quite fast. All our sins and griefs to bear. You know, I mean, you could really get going on that when the blisters weren't hurting and you could forget them and the ibuprofen had kicked in. Uh, 
But we remember a glorious moment with Ken walking along. We just got the two of us and we were singing, I surrender all. So surrender. Secondly, treasure. Just spend time treasuring him. So put time in with Jesus. You might start with five minutes, but you might increase that. Treasure that time. And thirdly, pursue. Pursue. None of us have arrived. I hope we don't think we have. None of us have arrived. There's always more. We pursue his glory. We press on to take hold, it says, of everything. We're like the guys on the 100 meters with the eyes to pursue. We have an ambition to pursue all that we can be. One thing I do, above all things, is to be known for my love of Jesus. That can be, that's the greatest thing that we can be known for. When one day I die, I hope that that's the main thing people say. Not that he was all right. He was a bit of a laugh sometimes. But he knew Jesus. It's got to be the greatest thing. I pursue Jesus. I pursue him. Finally, the word really is sanctified ambition. What are your ambitions? What are your hopes for you, for your family, for your workspace? There are things that are not achieved yet and not seen yet. Spiritually press in and pursue that pursuit of Jesus. For he is good and he loves you so much. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for the meanderings of my walk through this passage. And Lord, I pray you take what is appropriate to us. We surrender ourselves afresh to you. We, we, we bask in the treasure of knowing you. And Lord, we say we will pursue you. We will press into you to our dying day. For there is no greater thing than we can do. In your name. Amen.